Welcome to the Travel Like a Boss podcast, where we interview location-independent entrepreneurs that travel the world like a boss by being their own boss. Here's your host, Johnny FD. Hey everyone, this is Johnny and welcome to Travel Like a Boss episode 261. Today, I'm with Mr. Nomad Numbers, all the way from Taiwan, is it? That's correct. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm very excited um, to be here with you today. Yeah, so... I got excited when you reached out to me for, for two reasons. One is Taiwan has always been kind of an underrated digital nomad destination and even just a travel destination in Southeast Asia kind of overall. Everyone goes to Thailand, to Bali, you know, and then maybe they'll go to like Vietnam or Cambodia or even Laos or something. But Taiwan is always kind of just off the radar and people want to go and they're just like, oh, next trip, next trip. Why, why do you think that is, by the way? I didn't really know about Taiwan until really the pandemic hit. So for some background, we've been traveling for the past two years. So we were in Indonesia at that time. And then as the pandemic became global, we decided to come to Taiwan. But prior to that, I think my only understanding of Taiwan was Taipei and, you know, like the 101 Tower. And that was pretty much it. So I think it's not a place that is being really, really well promoted. That being said, it has so much great things. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so I definitely want to get into that. But I actually wanted to say, I actually had heard about you guys, you know, maybe one or two years ago, because of how transparent both of you are about all your numbers. I mean, so your blog is literally nomadnumbers.com. And it's all about the, the breakdown. So if anyone is like me, and you like getting nerdy about the financials of exactly how much, you know, each destination costs, these guys, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Nomad Numbers, break it down just like to the dollar, to like the penny even sometimes, right? Yeah, so we thought that uh, traveling the world was uh, going to be expensive. And as we did some research on our side, we actually realized that it was far from what we thought it was going to be. That's what got us excited about the idea of, oh, we should share those numbers with people because you can be with all of those amazing places in the world for really, really a fraction of what your actually cost of living might be, especially if you are in a high cost of living area like we were. That's how prompted the idea of the blog. And I'm glad that you have been appreciating the level of details we've been sharing there. Yeah, because there's so few people who actually take the time or are open enough to, to share the numbers. So I've been sharing my income reports and my expensive reports for, I think, maybe five years now. And before me, there was only a few people doing it. And after me, I think a few people have done it kind of here and there, but they leave some things out. They're not so detailed or they're like, you know, it, it just, it's just, it's not consistent. So I love seeing kind of the long-term numbers. And, and, and I really like your year-end wrap-ups. So I'm looking at the one for last year. It looks like you had started in, um, let's see, what was it from? Yeah, some Mexico in San Miguel de Allende. De Allende, yep. Yeah, for an entire month for two people, you're, total costs, which I'm assuming is like, you know, traveling and other things was 2,025 bucks and your cost of living only was 1,700. So 1,748. When you say total total costs, is that like including like buying clothes or like plane tickets or anything? Or what is that? So basically, as we started to travel, we wanted to identify what really be the true cost of living in a given location. So then if we like that place, we want to stay for a year, we can project number which are relevant. So remove everything which is not relevant to the location, which can be airfare, because you know if you come to Mexico from the US or versus from Europe, the airfare will be much different, as well as things like long-term expat insurance. Travel gear as well is something we also try to remove from that location, because if we, if we buy clothes, those are 
are going to be things we are going to carry over through the entire year. So that's where the difference comes from. Yeah, I, I like that. And uh, I started doing that as well on my blog kind of recently. Uh, I've always kind of had a, a breakdown, but people had to add up the numbers themselves. And actually last month, you know, people got really mad because the, the, the big number was I spent $7,500 last month here in Sri Lanka. People were like, what? You know, that's insane. Like how, like, and people, mm -hmm. a lot of people don't bother reading the actual, you know, numbers or they kind of skip through to, you know, they scroll down to the big number. But what it was, was I paid my parents property tax this year as kind of a, a gift and they live in San Francisco. And then I had some other kind of one-time expenses. So in reality, I probably only spent less than half of that, uh, in actual, you know, uh, cost of living. And the other half was that one time kind of off expense that other people aren't necessarily going to have. So, you know, for me, I'm kind of like, you know what, the numbers are there, people can, can do the math themselves. But it is very helpful <laughs> that you just kind of break it down, make it very simple for everyone. The idea behind those living costs is that then it's easy to compare cities. At least we remove as much noise as we can from our expenses where we are on that location. So that way we build that giant maps of all of the places we've been. So we have a rough idea of how much it costs in each of those places. Yeah, so I'm, I'm taking a look through it now. And just to kind of give a people broad overview. So in uh, San Miguel de Allende, Mex Mexico, cost of living only was 1700 for two people. In Aruba, it was $2,700, so $1,000 more. Mm -hmm. But this was Aruba, so kind of a top destination for a honeymooner. We felt it was still way cheaper than... People would probably spend 10000 bucks in two weeks in Aruba for their honeymoon. Yeah, so I think my parent, I mean, uh, my sister went there um, for just a few weeks or something, and it was she spent way more than that in, per week, so... Uh, really good job, but kind of keeping those those costs down as a, as a nomad. Um, and I look at, and I see that you you spent some a lot of time in San Francisco and then in France, and the the costs were really low. I'm assuming because you and your wife are from there, maybe you you know you had correct. some combination. Yeah, we didn't have to pay for the accommodation on those places. Okay, nice. But places like let's say Porto, Portugal, two thousand three hundred. Uh, Lisbon for th three weeks, less than less than uh, two thousand, and then Chiang Mai, Thailand, one thousand four hundred for thirty four days. Koh Lanta, a thousand ninety for twenty four days, and then yeah. So in contrast with Aruba, you know, um, I don't know if you have you been to Koh Lanta. Yeah, I lived there for a bit. So you know, it's it's pretty nice. They have like some really nice beach and the weather is is it's quite good actually we we do prefer it to aruba because the problem with aruba was the food was imported and pretty bad mm. so then for a fraction of that cost you get to enjoy beach by yourself we went there in the before the ice season so it was just a wonderful place to be with access to local produce and wonderful people yeah what's funny i think about a lot of uh, the more kind of popular places in the world that people have heard of uh, like a lot of places in, let's say, like the Virgin Islands or the Caribbeans, or uh, you know, even was it like the, the the kind of really popular places that people think of, right? Whether it's the Maldives or like Saint Vincent or something, they're really expensive, and there's not really that much to do in, in a lot of those 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 islands besides stay at a really fancy resort. And I've always wondered why people go there. And you know, sometimes you go even Hawaii, for example, super expensive. Most of the beaches are so crowded and I'm thinking I'm here in Colanto or I'm here in, you know, Sri Lanka and the beaches are just as nice, but there's, you know, nobody here, you know, you can sometimes have a whole beach yourself and the price is a third of the price. 
do you think it's just because they're not as famous, you know, or maybe they're a little bit further, so they're not as easy to get to from places like the U.S., that people just don't go? I think it's the lifestyle. For us, we have time on our side, so we, we, we can spend a month in a place that someone probably would think to spend two or three days. There is that time-money paradox that we kind of stumbled upon when a lot of people said, oh, I need to make money, so I'm just going to go to work. Because I go to work, then I don't have as much time as I want to do other things, so I'm going to start outsourcing my life because I'm getting that money, right? So they are mm-hmm. going to start buying food and doing their delivery, food delivery and all of those services and stuff. And then because they want more money, because they need to pay for those things now, they have less and less time for themselves. Mm. So then when for those people go on vacation, they might just have one week, right? So mm-hmm. they might pick Colanta, but they're not going to stay one week in the location. So they're going to have to spend much more money and they might sometimes go in also high season. For us, I think that time, instead of being scarce, it's abundant, then we need uh, less money, as surprisingly as it, it can sound, because we have time to cook our food, we have time to plan our trip, we have the time to decide when we want to go and, and so on. So at the end of the day, if you move away from that time scarcity mindset and move to that time abundant mindset, then you need less money to do things and you ultimately appreciate life much more. D- does that make sense? Yeah, 100%. I mean, when I had a corporate so, job, you know, it was, it was exactly like that, where I didn't have the time to you know, make my own coffee or, you know, uh, or cook dinner. So I would you know, stop by Starbucks or stop by a coffee shop, and then I would get Uber Eats delivery. And then I would, you know, be, you know, in traffic. And I would, you know, out, you know, I would send my, my shirts out to, to get washed and ironed. And I ended up spending all the money I had earned that day on just going to work, eating and, you know, going to sleep. Yeah, and people will just, they, for them, it's, it's okay to borrow time to make more money. They are like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's fine. You know, I want the money. I want the money. So it's okay if I use my time to do more of that work. But at the end of the day, it's super stressful. Back to your questions about travel, why are people not going to those places or prefer Hawaii or all of those? Maybe they want the picture-perfect vacation. And because they have so little time, it's totally fine for them to spend the money because they want to do all of it. You know, when we went to Aruba, we didn't go jet skiing every single day. We didn't even jet ski at all, right? But if you spend like a day jet skiing on Aruba, it probably could cost you to cost you like, you know, two people a couple of hundred bucks for, for just like an hour or so. For us, it's totally the opposite. We have the time, we, do, we DIY our activities, we love hiking, we love a lot of things that cost nothing. So yeah, we need, we need less money. Yeah. I like it. So before we, we talk about Taiwan, I just want to really quickly go through some of the, these areas that a lot of nomads just haven't really explored yet. So let's kind of do a rapid, you know, uh, you know, 30 seconds on each place. All right. Kind of summary of, did you like it? Would you go back? Would you recommend for nomads? All right. So starting with San Miguel de Allende, Mexico. We like it. That was one of the places we were thinking of going back. I think it's a good place for expats. The cost of living, as you say, it's not really high. It's super safe for Mexico. English is widely spoken. Maybe a four out of five as a place okay. um, for nomads. And what about Aruba? Aruba, I think it's okay to go there for a month. After that, we'll get tired, so we won't stay there long term. It is more expensive, but for what you get... On long term, it's pretty amazing. It's perfect weather, it's perfect beach. Okay. The only problem with Aruba is the food, which sucks. So 
I will give it a three out of five because we won't mm. get back to it. And okay. Speaking of uh, food, France. Oh wow! Yeah, France is really big. But I think in general, it can be more expensive if you go to touristy place. But again, there is a lot of non-touristy place. So I think I will give it a four out of five. The only reason I'm not going to get it a five is more for personal notes. I think for me, I love being an expat. So going back home, going back to France, will be a bit odd because then I won't be seen as an expat. <laughs> yeah. Okay, really I see that. And what about uh, Portugal? Starting with Porto and then Lisbon. I think for expat, Lisbon is pretty good. I think that can be a five out of five for um, expats if they want to live there because there is a co-working space. It's really nomad friendly. It is probably one of the most expensive places in Portugal. So maybe I will give it a 4.5 out of 5. I think for us, it's definitely a place we are considering to have a base. Portugal is definitely on the list, but we'll be most likely being 45 minutes away from Lisbon because you can just get a place for a fraction of the cost than Lisbon. Mm. And what about Porto? Porto is also getting there in terms of price. It's expensive. We didn't really like the city itself too much, but the surrounding is amazing. Like the Duro Valley, which is the wine valley, it's amazing. So mm-hmm. everything around Porto is quite nice. Yeah. So I've been to both. I, I really like uh, Portugal so good. as a whole. I, fi- I think the for me, the biggest issue is it's part of the Schengen zone. So I can only stay for you know 90 days and then be out for 90 days. Uh, but aside from that, you know, Portugal, I think is fantastic. So I, I really like it. The reason we are considering Portugal is that you can easily get a resident visa I think you just need to get a lease and then they can give you residence as long as you commit to stay six months in Portugal and then you get tax breaks for the for the next 10 years. Mm. Um, so that's something we're looking at potentially doing. Yeah, it definitely makes sense for a lot of non-Americans. The, the problem with Americans getting residency is then we're, we have to pay tax, uh, you know. It's more complicated for tax. It's, it's much easier oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. for us to just, <laughs> just not be a resident somewhere. All right. Uh, what about Montenegro? I, I don't hear much about that place. It's very close to Croatia and Dubrovnik. It's a beautiful place. Uh, we, we stay in Kotor, which is close to the border, which has view on the bay of Kotor, which is quite nice. Really affordable. Nice weather as we went, which was, I think, around October. It's like Dubrovnik for a fraction of the cost. So if you haven't been yet, check it out. And then you can rent a car and explore. And it's quite safe too. Nice. So then we have Thailand. Everybody loves Thailand. I, I've spent so much time there. I, I think people already know it's kind of a, a great overall nomad destination. But overall, out of you know all the places you've been in the last two years, where do you see yourself going back to? And, and you know where would you actually want to, to base yourselves out of? The top of the list, we have Portugal, Montreal, and San Miguel. But that would have been post-COVID. Now, with COVID, we have been thinking about looking at things like healthcare, governance, stability. So right now, we are definitely putting Taipei on the top of the list. Nice. So that's kind of why you guys went to Taiwan, right? Because there was, it's one of the few places right now where there's, there's a, a way to go long-term. Oh, yeah. I checked the last numbers about the COVID cases. So for your audience, if they are not aware, there has been in total, right, seven deaths in the entire country due to COVID. The number of cases has been, I think it's 640 as of this recording. Mm -hmm. And there hasn't been any local transmission uh, for more than 200 days, which means Mm -hmm. that those 640-ish cases have just been residents or people that can come back, national residents that came with the virus and Mm -hmm. they were quarantined for two weeks and none of those died. I haven't seen a country with numbers like this. And from living here, I can tell the government is not adding numbers because we are going to crowded places without masks and we have been fine. 
the government has been doing quite well with the quarantine process to contain the virus. Yeah, and Sri Lanka has been very, very similar. You know, the last you know six months or so, where you know, and maybe because Taiwan and Sri Lanka are very similar. They're, they're you know island nations. Uh, they they can the government can just lock everything down. Unfortunately, what happened pretty recently here in Sri Lanka was because it's so close to India, there was some transmission from there uh, through kind of people breaking the rules. So, for example, fishermen uh, trading with uh, Indian fishermen or hanging out, you know, maybe they're drinking together or just, you know, interacting. Mm. And then there was a, a case with a garment factory uh, that had Indian workers, maybe, you know, possibly, you know, it's r- rumors of how, what happened, but, you know, some say that they had some Indian workers coming and kind of uh, <laughs> and skipping quarantine or something. So unfortunately there was a, a breakout here, uh, but overall fantastic place, uh, very similar to Taiwan in terms of there was no local transmission for months and months and compared to the rest of the world, very, you know, like it's, it's very low cases. And I know some people are listening to this, you know, there's the two sides, right? On one side, people are saying this is, you know, a, the end of the world pandemic, you know, everybody needs to stay home, uh, wear a mask and, you know, and, and panic because it's a big deal. On the other side, people are like, no, it's not a big deal at all. Let's reopen everything. Let's um, kind of screw it. And as someone who's kind of always kind of moderate in the middle, I'm like, you know what? Maybe there's a chance that this is actually a lot worse than than people realize. And, the, and you know, all the kind of shutdowns um, have slowed things down. And maybe it could become a really, you know, deadly uh, pandemic. It's kind of smart for us as nomads, if we have the choice to say, you know what? Yeah, maybe it's not that big of a deal, but why would we, you know, uh, stay in a place like the U.S. where it's, you know, it's, you know, kind of uncontrollable when we have the option to go to somewhere like uh, Taiwan or stay in a place like Sri Lanka where it's just not even, it's just a non-issue. Uh, I think places like Sri Lanka or Taiwan are definitely doing much better in terms of numbers. We see the pandemic, you know, pretty much in most countries. I mean, we're looking especially at Europe and the US because that's where our family are. And uh, things are not really looking good because we are nomads who have the option to live anywhere. That's how we end up with Taiwan. When we left uh, Indonesia in March, ahead of our schedule, we just look at the numbers and Taiwan was the top of our list. We've got very lucky that that hasn't changed. But now that we've been here and we see how the government is doing towards this, we feel very confident that they are not going to reopen the border until there's a, a process to make sure that all of the people in Taiwan can remain safe. Yeah, I, I almost think of it as, you know, maybe like this was almost kind of like COVID is almost like a trial run where in the future, if there really is a, let's say there's a super deadly pandemic or maybe like, let's say a zombie apocalypse. And I think if this was like a trial run of how we would handle things, I think most countries would have failed so badly. So yeah, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> I think yeah. I don't like like I said. Uh, I don't know every single country, but I think most of them would have failed. And I think to uh, Taiwan's points because they have to deal with SARS 10, 15 years ago. They did learn at the time because they got it pretty badly with the virus. I think they acted as soon as they heard about the Wuhan incident back in December and people starting wearing masks right away and taking precaution and putting the quarantine into effect. I mean, they've been super reactive. Just to show you how reactive they were when we were on our flight, we left March 17th from Bali to Taipei. 
we are not supposed to quarantine. If you remember, there was a list of countries, you know, China and all of the other countries when everybody coming from this country must quarantine. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are not on that list, but as, as our flight takeoff, I think it was at 4 p.m., they said that by 5 p.m., every single person entering Taiwan would have to quarantine. So then when we landed, they told us, hey, by the way, you guys have to quarantine. Are you okay with that? If not, then just take a different flight and go somewhere else. And right now, anyone's coming has to be residents or uh, nationals. Okay. So before we talk about how to actually get that, you know, uh, the, the residency to, to go there with the Taiwan gold card, how was the actual quarantine for you guys? What was that like? It was pretty surreal. We didn't know we have to mandatory quarantine, but we are going to have a kind of a soft, safe quarantine between us just to be safe. So we are going to do that. Now, as we arrived, it becomes much more formal. So they ask for our phone number upon arrival at the airport. They try to call our phone to make sure that they can reach out to us if they needed to. And then they ask us for our hotel location and told us, please do not take too big transportation to go to your place. It's only basically private transportation. So yeah, we got into an Uber, got to our place. So we were in an Airbnb, which was part of an apartment complex. And then someone was ringing the bell. I thought it was having some food we might have delivered. So what I was doing is like, okay, I'm just going to go down the stairs. Turns out it was the, the local police that were checking on us. So I was wearing my mask, obviously. Uh, but when I opened the door, he was asking me uh, who I was, what I was doing. I said, oh, yeah, I'm living there. Please come back to your apartment and please do not leave the apartment. So they are very serious about that. And he was very friendly. He was just like, no, no, just make sure to follow the rules and stay within the apartment. And then because of the SIM card, we were using Google Fi because it's very convenient as we travel. So they asked us to get a Taiwanese SIM card so they could track our location. And that's the way they can see people are leaving their building or anything. We've got told stories of people stopped by the police within like half an hour of them leaving their building. So mm. yeah, they will make sure that we'll catch you. Yeah, you know, that's actually a very sensitive uh, subject about the like location tracking and also contact tracing. I know there's a lot of people, especially in the US, that are very upset about that. And they don't want a kind of totalitarian government tracking. And on one hand, I agree with them. You know, uh, I think that the government, especially the US government, may use opportunities to kind of lock down more control, right? You know, taking away some liberties or rights. But on the other hand, it is the very best way to keep um, everyone safe if there really is a very deadly pandemic. And the problem is, I think nobody really knows how deadly COVID actually is. You know, like it seems like everything's fine. It's not that big of a deal, but maybe it's not that big of a deal because people actually took action. So who knows? But let's say there was, you know, a re, you know, a, something that was uh, COVID you know, twenty or something that was way stronger. I would be happy that the government had things uh, in place to to actually make make sure people were quarantined. Because here in Sri Lanka, what had happened was people residents you know, came back and they were supposed to quarantine, but, you know, they're like, ah, I'm home already. Let me go see my relatives, my family. I miss them. I haven't seen them in a while. And that's how things, you know, got spread again. Yeah. So it is, uh, it is complicated. So I do respect that Taiwan does it in a friendly way, but they're still serious about it. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, they're totally friendly and they come, you know, once a day they will check on you. Uh, I think now they just send you a text message to check because you have to take your temperature every day. So then if you, if you do end up getting the virus from the time you reach there, then they will just take care of you. And like I said, only seven people die overall. So they are a pretty good system to, to handle that. For me, if it's the price to pay for the freedom we are getting now, and we will be able to get uh, most likely next year until the situation resumes to where it was, I am 
okay with it. They might be tracking me now where I am with my phone. I can also switch back to Google Fi if I want. They won't be able to track us that way. But I think that saved the country twice. So not only they can track, but then they can know where everybody is going to. So there was an incident when the guy went to a nightclub. So then they were able to basically follow up with all of the people he was in contact with and make sure that all of those people were isolating themselves. And there was another incident when there was a naval, naval ship coming back to Taipei. That was interesting, actually, because all of the people on the ship were Taiwanese. They didn't quarantine when they came back because they were going to be on a mission on their boat just by themselves. There was no way they would get the virus. So then as they come back, some people got the virus. As they quickly identified those people, they were some of the people went in grocery store and stuff. So they shut down the, the grocery store location as well, do a deep cleaning to make sure that you know the virus is not spreading. Because when we have one of those incidents, then it's easy, then things can get out of control. And then you lost all of the effort you've done. Yeah, uh, so it definitely makes sense. So the, the last guest I had on, on episode 260 was Mita, and she's in Barbados. And there, the quarantine is only five days. And I'm pretty sure that the reason why they, they make it so short is they kind of figured like that's the maximum amount of time a lot of Americans would be willing to, to quarantine because it's, it's uh, you know, just a yeah, easier process. Yeah. 14 days so is, Taiwan, is more on the safe side. Yeah, and actually Taiwan is going further than that. Um, as you quarantine, they don't want you, if you come with your partner, they want you to quarantine in two different locations. And, and I was wondering like, why do you want to be separate from your partner? Because you know, you share the mm -hmm. same plane. It's just because if one person has COVID before the, the flight and then you get it as you are in that partner during the quarantine, you might still show Shantum post those 14 days. So, you know, they are just taking it very seriously. That is, is taking it too far. I, I think I understand that there is a slight risk of someone developing it, you know, uh, after. So like, let's say someone, you know, someone had it and then the other person gets it on like day 11 or something. I can see that yeah. extending, but... I think it's it's a ridiculous rule to to ask people to to separate from their their spouse, you know, or even their girlfriend or boyfriend, travel partner. I I, I yeah, think that's that, confusion you know, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think, I, I, uh, yeah. That rule I would I would not I would not abide to. But yeah. Uh, so let's talk about the actual gold card because that is kind of not not the loophole, but that is the way that really pretty much anyone can apply and get into Taiwan and stay there even during the, the travel lockdown? How, how does it actually work? First and foremost, it's an employment gold card. The way things work in Taiwan when you want to find a job, because that, that was the purpose of the card initially, was like, you need to get sponsored by a company in Taiwan. So you apply overseas, you go through the interview process, and then they sponsor you for that job. If you lose that job or if you, if you decide to change job, then you lose your resident visa because it's attached to that job. So it's the equivalent in the U.S. with a L1, which is a visa only attached to the company. Because the government of Taiwan wants to attract people and especially skilled foreigners, they develop that gold card. With that gold card, when you qualify, you get a bunch of stuff. One of them is an open work permit. That means that you can come to the country as a resident, and then you can start to look for a job. And you don't have to need to find a job in Taiwan as well. So a lot of people have been able to take advantage of it because they were working, let's say, in the US, or they were freelancing. Then you can get the gold card. You will be eligible for it. Never have to work for a Taiwanese company, and you can stay in the country. So that's one of the benefits. Not only you get that uh, open work permit, you also have the ability to enter the country as many times as you want, especially during the pandemic, because right now no foreigners are allowed. So then as you become a resident and gold card holder, you have that ability to come in and out. And of course, mm -hmm. you will have to go through quarantine. Then you also have the ability to get access to the national health insurance, which is a pretty good health insurance. So it's a very cheap health insurance you can get as well. You can also bring your spouse and your kids. 
And something we are going to try to do is we can also bring your ascendant into Taiwan. So my parents and grandparents, mm. uh, they are eligible to get a visa. So instead of having you to go to Europe for us, for instance, going to get back to France and be maybe in another lockdown or exposed with the virus, we can have them to come. I think it's up to six months per year. Right now, during the pandemic, they only are you three months, but I think you might be able to extend that. And there is some tax break as well. So those are of the, all of the benefits you get with that, um, with that card. That would be fantastic. Yeah, I, I think that's really, really valuable for people with families. You know, especially people with families that want healthcare and the the kind of Taiwan um, healthcare. Oh well, yeah, and school. I mean, that is a for anyone in the U.S. who is worried about you know not having healthcare during you know during these times, or you know wanting to go somewhere for one you know for you know not just three months but one to three years and have somewhere safe they can be with their families. Because I know that's very important to a lot of people. On my wife's side, my niece is going to school is not the same experience. Summer camp, it's definitely not something you do anymore. Or it's, it's a very different experience. Here, kids are at school, they play in playgrounds. There is no social distancing. So for people with family, it's totally different experience. And we have examples of friends which are actually trying to come with their family for that exact reason. It's like, they just want to have normal life for now. And Taiwan still offer all of that. So how much actually does it cost then? Because it's, it, it's close to free, but it's not actually free, right? So for an American, and you have to decide one or three years, I think it's 250 bucks for one year and 300 bucks for three years. That's so cheap. So $300 for three years, not $300 per month, but $300 for, the, for 100 bucks per year, basically. Yeah. If you pay. That's yeah, insanely yeah, yeah, cheap. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. even cheaper for, as you apply as a French. A citizen was around 200 bucks. Yeah, so if anyone's not aware of kind of the, the Taiwan healthcare, it's it's very good. My, my cousin uh, is from Taiwan. My, my, actually, my parents are both born in Taiwan. My cousin was living there for a long time still. And it basically covers everything. It even covers um, lots of preventive care, covers dental. I think the only thing it doesn't cover are glasses. But, you know, overall, it's a very good system. One thing to note is that you get access to the healthcare, but if you work for a Taiwan company, you can apply on the day you arrive. If you don't, you have to wait six months. So for us, we still have a few more months to wait. I think it's less than 800 NT, which will be less than 26 bucks per month and per person. And as you said, I think going to the doctor will cost you like two or three bucks. Yeah. I went to see a dermatologist without the healthcare and I ending up paying 600 NTD to see that physician. So even if you don't have the healthcare, you are still going to spend way less than paying out of pocket for uh, the same thing in the US. Yeah. So that's like 20 bucks to, to, <laughs> to go to the dermatologist. So yeah, so fantastic. Yeah. So I know that for certain categories, the the gold card is really hard to get. So for example, if you want to go as, you know, like an athlete or something, you have to kind of prove that you're, you know, a superstar, right? Or if you want to go, uh, go as a scientist, you have to, you know, you have to have your work peer reviewed by Taiwan, you know, Taiwanese scientists and they have to accept you in. But in your guide that you've wrote uh, as, a, as a mega blog post on Nomad Numbers, there is a an easier category where it's just money-based and you don't have to actually prove any like skills uh, as, yeah, and, know, and I think as an expert. That, yeah, we, we were turned off initially when we read about the gold card because they feature one of the co-founders of YouTube as the first person to receive the gold card. So I was looking at my wife, I say, well, we don't have that entrepreneurial pedigree to apply. But then when you look into the details, because they want really definitely highly skilled workers, 
for all of those categories. So there is uh, architecture, design, cultural arts, education, finance, law, science and technology and sports. It's really difficult because as you said, you have to provide a lot of proof. Even people that were skilled in those categories got a lot of trouble. So what a lot of people have been doing now is like, oh, instead of doing that, you can apply under economy. And the only requirement in economy that you have to prove is income-based, which is okay. much easier. And what is the, the income amount, do you know? Yeah, so it's 160,000 uh, per month. The equivalent is 65 USD per year, plus or minus the, cover, the, the conversion rate. So as long as you can prove that your W2 is above that, then that's all the information they need for a review. And, and is that combined? So can you, can you make 30,000 and your wife makes 35,000 to, to kind of cover no, that 65,000? It's per person okay. to apply. Okay. And it, if someone was going to be a dependent, so let's say there's only one person, you know, working, uh, they make 65,000, but their wife or, you know, or kids apply as a dependent. Is that okay? Yeah. Like I said, yeah, you can bring your spouse and your kids. You just have to do much more thing. If both qualify, I think just better for both of them to submit the paperwork. If they don't, just keep in mind, you're going to take a couple of months. But yeah, it's totally doable. Okay. And do you know if there's a a way to prove, you know, instead of income, pay, you know, proving like net worth or anything, is, is there a, another way to, to, to get, to get in or does it have to be like a W2 income or could maybe, maybe can it be a, a 1099 income? It's not based on your uh, nest egg or your net worth for, for the gold card. I don't know for sure about other visa in Taiwan, but yeah, no, no. They just want to know how much income you are making because again, they want you to come here. Like they want you to bring your skill set. So if you work in the economy for them, the proof was like, yeah, making sure that you are uh, bringing enough money. But I'm not aware of people showing them this is how much I have in the bank and can I get the visa? Definitely not the gold card. Okay. And do you know if you're, so I'm, I'm looking at taiwangoldcard.com right now for their FAQ and it's a, it's a bit confusing. So I'm glad you wrote that guide, but what if, um, so they actually have a category. It's, it's actually cool that they wrote this. One of the FAQs is I'm a digital nomad slash remote worker. Is this card suitable for me? Can I be self-employed? And it says, yes, this card is perfect for you. Since it contains an open work permit, you can work for any employer. However, you don't, you don't need a Taiwanese employer. So I guess my question then is, is it, does it have to be a W-2 uh, income? I guess it can also be 1099 then, because if it's saying that if you're self-employed, it's fine. Yeah, I don't know. I, we use W-2, so I cannot speak on the 1099, but there is a forum that I link on the post as well, which has a lot of people that have been going through the process so they can help. But in general, what happens when you submit the information, if they want more information, they are not going to cancel your application. They will just friendly asking you, hey, can I have more information? on this, you might want to check on the forum. I don't have the specific answer on that one. So I don't want to mislead by saying it's possible or not on the 10. Yeah. From, from the FAQ on the, on the official site, it looks like it, it'll be fine. It's, it should it's be because we have, be. we have people, we've met people here, which are freelancing and they have their own companies. But the other thing is that you can look back three years back. So maybe if people have met that income before becoming freelancer. Okay. So. Are, are both you and your wife both making more than $65,000 a year then if you applied separately? Yes. Well, good job, guys. <laughs> Could we ask well, what, what's, what's your well, work? Well, so actually, uh, we, before we became nomads, so we, we provided our 2018. At that time, we still have a, a regular job in the US. So that was working. Now that we are traveling, our income is definitely much lower than that. So we would not have been able to qualify on our 2019 W-2. That's uh, kind of a, a loophole is if you guys had any of those years, uh, the last few years, 
qualify, uh, you can make it still. Yeah, if people are, I mean, right now, people are like planning on becoming nomad or losing their job, keep in mind that you still have two more years from the time you of your last job to be able to qualify under the economy. And we did actually apply as unemployed. So it's definitely, that was not a problem for them. Um, okay. Yeah, that, that's, that's, that's good. So some people might be thinking like, come on guys, $65,000 a year, that's a lot of money. But here, here's the thing is, is two caveats on that. And there's one, if you're working a, you know, IT job, especially, but you know, really most salary jobs in the U.S., before taxes, sixty-five thousand. It, it seems like a lot, but it's only you know four thousand, you know five thousand four hundred dollars a month. There's plenty of people who are kind of new nomads, remote workers who, who qualify. Uh, second, as a self-employed entrepreneur, being uh, you know something like a e-commerce uh, business owner, like for me when I was dropshipping, my my tax form, my ten ninety-nine, would show that I had earned you know two hundred fifty thousand dollars that that year. My actual take-home net profit was you know less you know way less than half of that so maybe a third of that but on paper it you know it made it look like i was earning you know over two hundred thousand dollars a year so chances are at least from the way i read it is you can show that and say hey look i made you know i made well over a hundred thousand dollars last year so that might be a way to to get around it as well yeah i did some uh, research there was that website that i'm also linking on the blog which is called taiwangoldcard.com which actually a website that people hear are building as they got the gold card because they also realized that it's, things are pretty tricky. There is a section about those my professional services, sole proprietor, dividend income count towards the salary requirements. They say generally not, but it depends. And I think the key is that you can make an argument if your freelance income looks, looks a lot like salary. Uh, for instance, uh, in the USA, I think the form like seven unemployment compensation or a 1099 NEC from after uh, 2020. So yeah. Maybe a way for, okay. uh, for that to come. I like it. And to kind of you know, close off that, that thought, there's some nomads right now listening. Maybe they even shut down, uh, turned off the podcast now, and they're angry. They're like, you know, Johnny, you know, guys, like, this is so rude. You know, uh, most nomads are only making $1,000 a month. Like, this is not even possible. Why did you waste our time with that? I want you guys to, to realize that, it's that was kind of chapter one of the digital nomad life where, you know, skating around and make, you know, living off of 600 bucks or a thousand bucks a month and just making that amount was fun. It was a part of kind of digital nomad 1.0. But if that was kind of the, the lifetime dream, I think we were selling ourselves short because there's so much more potential as nomads to earn, you know, $65,000 a year or more and have a normal kind of uh, Western income while still traveling, living remotely, and then keeping our expenses down. So a lot of that could have just went to savings. And a lot of that ended up, you know, could have been things like dividend income where, you know, maybe have, I, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, and, and, you know, this isn't uh, verified or not, but let's say you've saved up enough money where your investments are now making you $65,000 a year. There's a very good chance that Taiwan and other countries might accept that, you know, who knows, right? But if you can prove, you know, really what they want to know is, you know, are you going to come and add value to our economy and our culture and our country, or are you going to be taking from it? And I think too many so-called nomads have been, you know, skating by as more like backpackers than actual entrepreneurs and nomads. And this is kind of a a big wake-up call is countries will always accept people and want people who are adding value to their country. And 
people are not going to want to, you know, to support the leechers, you know, Thailand is moving towards that as well, where they no longer want the bag packers or kind of the the low budget uh, travelers. They, they want to attract people who are actually earning money. So it sucks, but this has been a big wake up call for a lot of people is if you had, you know, done what, what everyone has kind of shown is possible the last couple of years, you wouldn't be in this situation now. You would have, you know, be able to prove, hey, you know, I have the savings or I have right. the income from the last few years to be able to support myself in a place like Taiwan. And, and that's a benefit and a kind of reward for, for doing that. Yeah, and keep in mind, if people don't have the salary requirements, if they exceed or if they excel into, the, uh, into their field, all of the other fields I've mentioned, like science and technology, if you have top-notch person, you can still get it as well. Because first and foremost, like you said, they want talent to come to Taiwan. And they are totally fine if you don't work for Taiwanese company. They just want you to come here to get to experience the country, provide some level of contribution during the time you are in Taiwan. And then, yeah, they will give you those amazing benefits. Keep in mind that economy is the easiest way. If some of your audience are like, you know, top notch in those other um, professions that uh, we've mentioned, they still have the way to, to apply and, and get there. But uh, yeah, you just need and, to excel there. Yeah, that, that's that's a good point too, because I'm even looking at a category called culture and arts, where you can be in performing arts, visual arts, publishing, uh, broadcast, music, handicraft, even, you know, cultural uh, administration. So there, there are a lot of categories that if you do excel in those categories, as in you are very good at your job, then you can get in. Uh, so that's another reason to, to be good at what you do. So it's been uh, it's been really fun talking and kind of catching up. Um, overall, what are your impressions of living in, in in Taiwan? Do you like the people? Do you like you know the the culture, the infrastructure, the Wi-Fi? How is it? Yeah, I mean we like we like pretty much everything. I think the the things to watch for to watch out for for us was the weather because the summer can be super hot and humid, so it can feel very hot, but we have ACs and you know, we have access to the beach. So we did a bunch of river tracing so you can get in the water when it's hot. But yeah, no, the food is amazing. The infrastructure, it's like Japan for a fraction of the cost. We never rented a car. You can get public transportation. They have top-notch subway. They have city bikes you can rent for like one bucks per hour or less uh, just to move within Taipei. There's so many hikes. I think there is 300 peaks. We've been hiking for months and we haven't done the same trail so far. There is the people are wonderful. You know, I mentioned immigration and they've been super helpful and supporting us as we went through the process during the pandemic. The people are really nice. The language, I'm finally starting to take some Mandarin class, but uh, in Taipei, you can totally get by if you speak English. Once you get outside of Taipei, then it's a bit difficult. But uh, yeah, I'm starting to learn Chinese. So that's fun. Overall, like I said, five out of five, especially regarding the current pandemic. Um, I think they're doing everything right. Care is good. Uh, cost of living is totally affordable. Yeah, yeah. I'm doing it. I'm, I'm a bit biased because my parents are both from Taiwan and I, and I used to visit a lot as a kid. And you know, I've been a few times uh, to, to visit you know, last couple of, couple, couple of summers. But I've been to 50 countries now in Taiwan. It, is definitely on the top 10 of places to go, especially for food. The night markets, which I'm sure you, you go to a lot, they're amazing. Definitely the best food of any night market in the world. You know, I like the ones in, in yeah, Chiang Mai, yeah. but the one in Taiwan's yeah. way better. It's super clean also as well, which sometimes some, when you go to those night markets, like you mentioned Chiang Mai, it's like, oh, 
I'm not going to look too closely, but I mean, you are usually fine, but it's, yeah, here things are super clean, it's tasty. Like we said at the beginning, I didn't know anything about Taiwan, and I'm pretty sure a lot of people probably have the same statement about the country. And once you get there, I mean, there is nothing outstanding for sure. You cannot say about Taiwan, maybe the Taroko National Park is a beautiful park, but there is not like something at top of the list, but everything is pretty, it's really good. No, you have amazing bike bike path you can go biking with. You have amazing transportation. So everything is really really good. It's that there is nothing outstanding. It's that's maybe why it's not on the list of most. Yeah, and and there's definitely not any like standout Instagram you know made places. You know, Bali, for example, is probably the exact opposite of Taiwan. I mean, they're they're both islands, uh, but Bali is but- made for Instagram. But once you actually get there and you realize, hey, the infrastructure sucks. <laughs> There's no public yeah, transport. Yeah. The the Uber doesn't really work, doesn't work there. There's scams everywhere. Like the ATMs will you know will rob you. Like people you know break into your house and rob your villa. Like like the internet sucks. But it just but it's so beautiful that people go. Taiwan's the opposite. Yeah. Where, I will I will, you know? I will challenge. You should check. Uh, we have a very small YouTube channel, but I did that bike trip. And you can just check those videos and you can ask yourself whether or not you're in Taiwan or in Ubud because there is rice paddy field here. And seriously, like you can do side-by-side comparison on the pictures. They are getting into that Instagram fashion here. A lot of people love that. I think it's getting better. It's just not very well known. And safety-wise, you know, how many times you rent a bike and, you know, in those bikes, you have a caddy in front. I left my bag. I went back home and I forgot my bag for some reason. I came back, it was still there. Or people will leave their wallet at the coffee shop or their laptop and things are still there. It's... It's so much safer. Like it's a different world. Yeah, Taiwan's probably one of the, the safest countries in the world. It's it's very similar to Japan culturally in many many ways, and you know it's kind of a mix of what China used to be before you know before 1950, I guess before communism, and the so you have the old Chinese history, and then you have the Japanese influence because when when Taiwan kind of uh, broke off, basically they decided you know what screw mainland china let's uh let's follow a different culture and for whatever reason they chose japan so there's you know a lot of japanese restaurants a lot of japanese influence uh people are really polite and quiet and clean you know it's 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 almost kind of a, a strange mix between japan and and kind of old old china and that's why the only when when you ask me the question what i think about taiwan i always like to balance i don't want to be biased uh, and the only thing that really sucks is the weather. And again, when I'm saying it sucks, it's not really that bad. It's like Chiang Mai weather, right? But yeah, everything else I cannot think about that sucks. Yeah. yeah. So I, I I encourage people to check it out, whether it's moving there, you know, now with the, the gold card or to have it as a place to think about in the future. But I've always said for the last five years, you know, this has potential as a nomad hotspot. It just there's just no nomads there, so I'm glad that you uh, are and uh, Mrs. Uh, nomad Numbers is you know kind of putting it on the map. Um, if people want to check out your blog, uh, we'll have links to the Taiwan uh, Employment Gold Card Application Guide that you wrote, super detailed, as well as all of your you know uh, expenses breakdowns kind of throughout the last couple of years. It's nomadnumbers.com. Is there any other way to reach you on uh, like social media or anything? If people want to reach us, they can get into our newsletter when we set an update once a week and that give us, they can reply to those emails so they have direct access. Perfect. And big question that people, people want to know is uh, Mr. Nomad, Mr. and Mrs. Nomad Numbers, uh, I guess you guys are anonymous uh, because you guys are so transparent with, uh, with all your numbers and everything. 
how's that worked out for you guys? Have you ever been like kind of recognized anywhere or what do you, what do your parents think about this? No, we are not that popular yet, but we do have a lot of people similar to you love the transparency and we connect with them through the blog and then we meet them in person later on. That's also one of the reasons I wanted to start the blog is we also want to find our community. And as you know, community is a big topic as you are a long-term nomad. The blog has been that nice vehicle for us to connect to those like-minded people. All right. Very cool. Well, enjoy Taiwan. Please have some delicious Chinese, uh, Taiwanese food for me because I do miss it. Enjoy the night markets. Uh, I'm assuming, it, it, are they open now? Is it kind of life normal there? Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Like I said, they are having concerts. Uh, I think last month there was a big concert happening outside and big crowds and stuff. Life is totally normal. The only thing is like you have to wear a mask in public transportation. And now as the flu season is coming back, they want again people to wear masks indoor starting December 1st. I think when you go to businesses and grocery stores, everybody will have to put their mask on. But that's the extent of the precaution for the with the, the pandemic here. Okay, awesome. Well, great chatting with you. Uh, and guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode. We'll have links to everything in the show notes. This is episode 261 at the Travel Like a Boss podcast. And see you guys all next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Travel Like a Boss podcast. If you want to hear more, including the bonus, how to choose the perfect niche episode, join our mailing list at travellikeabosspodcast.com. See you next week. And remember, if you want to travel like a boss, you need to be your own boss. So start your online business today and start living the lifestyle you've always dreamed of.